It's much easier to make a company more profitable when you're able to see a path to reducing overhead so quickly. It also changes the way you work. It allows you to work in a much more enjoyable environment. It allows you to work from home. The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Online Marketing Show. This is your host, Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is a return guest and friend of the show, Mitch Russo. Mitch was on the podcast just a couple of months ago and we had a great time last time around and we thought we'd do it again. He's back today to share with us some new insights on a different topic of building virtual organizations, which has many, many advantages for startups, home-based businesses, um, and actually businesses of all shapes and sizes who just want to run things cheaper, leaner, and more efficiently. This is the topic which is the focus of his latest book, The Invisible Organization. Um, Mitch, thank you so much for coming back on the show. My pleasure, Joey. Great to be here. Mitch, I just mentioned there your new book, The Invisible Organization. Why did you write it? Well, you know how companies sometimes reach a plateau but don't know how to restart massive growth and profits? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what I do is in the book is I try to help CEOs map out a strategy to shed overhead, thrill clients and staff while doubling and redoubling profits again and again. Okay, brilliant. That sounds very interesting. So how did you get the experience that it takes to write a book on this topic? Well, you know, my passion is solving system-oriented problems. And years ago when I ran my software company before selling it for over $10 million, I invented a way to mobilize my clients into becoming consultants. And using that idea, I generated a million dollars in revenue by year two just with that program alone. And so later, when I went to work for Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes as the CEO of Business Breakthroughs International, I had to find a way to scale our sales, marketing, and coaching business with radio. But I also had to find a way to ensure every lead paid off. That's where great systems and great people come into play. So the reason I did this and and the way I kind of got started in this is by having this orientation towards being a systems guy, number one, and number two, finding an interesting problem to solve so that when we started getting 3,000 phone calls a week that were all active leads, people calling in from our radio show and radio commercials, that's when I decided that we had to scale our systems. And in this process of scaling our systems, what we ended up with was a fully scalable environment that allowed us to double our business three years in a row. And so we moved uh, uh, a lot of product. We, we spoke to a lot of people. And one of, the, one of the hallmarks of our program is that we were able to do it without wasting too many leads. And again, when, when you find yourself in a position where leads all of a sudden you know double or quadruple or increase by 10 times, you're going to lose some. You're going to waste some. But ideally, with great systems, you'll be able to make sure that you're getting as many of those as you can. And that's where I got the experience 
in creating and scaling the types of invisible systems, the virtual systems that I talk about in the book. I'm going to ask you in a moment about what is so good about having a virtual organization. But before I do that, let's make sure we're all on the same page about what a virtual organization actually is and how it's different to a typical physical organization. Well, there's probably three key differences and it's a, um, uh, it's some of it is obvious and some of it is not. So let's start with the obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many companies out there today that have a sales force or have a support system or a support department. There are other people who have um, uh, telephone banks of folks who do all kinds of work for clients. For example, if you if you happen to be listening to this and you own an airline, you have reservation people that are on the phones all day long. Well, ideally, and if you were to take those systems and bring them virtual, then the first thing that would happen is that you would no longer need all of the real estate that you currently are renting, leasing, or owning. You would no longer need all of the uh, electricity to run the air conditioning systems and all of the other telecommunications equipment. You would no longer need most of the infrastructure you currently have to support all those people. Mm -hmm. In fact, when you send those people home, not only don't you need the infrastructure, but you thrill your staff. And by sending them home, you're able to increase productivity by a minimum of 13%, which is what Stanford University documented in their landmark study, mm-hmm. why working from home works. So the thing about working from home for people, and we probably all know this intuitively, is that there's no expense related to commuting. So all that money spent on in wear and tear on an automobile or all the time spent commuting goes away. You speak to anybody who works from home and let them tell you what they think the benefits are. I'll give you an example. Um, I was making a reservation on JetBlue, and I happen to know that all of their agents work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if that's really public information. So I said to the agent, so tell me what it's like working from home. She was a little taken back, but then when she realized I knew what she was doing, she then spoke a little bit about how much she loved it and what it meant to her. And how she was able to eat her own food and walk her dog when she wanted. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, as a result, I end up working more than I thought I would. But I don't mind at all because I get to work on my own terms. So that's one of the big advantages. And that's what I mean when I say that we get to thrill our staff. As far as clients go, you know, clients uh, can tell when staff are happy. Clients can tell when staff love their job. And that's another big advantage. Another big advantage of going virtual is that people know that. Clients know that. Okay, so there's lower overheads. You're saving a ton of money in that respect. You've got happier staff, more productive staff. And then that even trickles down and benefits your clients as well. So there's really lots of big, big reasons to go virtual. Um, anything else that we should know, Mitch? Any other big advantages of going virtual? Or, or do you think those are the main ones? Well, those are the main ones, but there's one more, and this goes comes down to the CEO himself. It becomes a lifestyle issue. You know, there are CEOs, and, and I, I would make the assumption that most CEOs are very hardworking folks. They're constantly focused on their business. They're always trying to grow and make, make the company more profitable. Well, you know, it's much easier to do, uh, it's much easier to make a company more profitable when you're able to see a path 
to reducing overhead so quickly. It also changes the way you work. It allows you to work in a much more in, enjoyable environment. It allows you to work from home. And with the systems that my teams install and the things that I write about in the book, the systems we use allow a CEO to have even more control than they ever had before working from their own offices. And just to echo that, Mitch, I'm the CEO of a small company, and I really enjoy the fact that I can work from home. I really believe that this is the the future. You know, I don't, I don't actually see why people need to spend an hour, an hour and a half to go commute to work, and then an hour and a half back again every single day. It's just a, it's 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 not a good use of time. I mean, sure, there's some jobs out there that physically require you to be there. You know, for example, you know, you can't virtually build, a, you know, on a, on a building site if you're the one who is laying down the bricks. So, okay, there are some jobs that are clearly physical. However, in in lots of office jobs, you know, jobs that are basically done at a desk behind a computer, I think offices are just becoming kind of redundant now in 2015. And it's a a major expense. So, you know, personally, I really think that things are headed this way. I completely agree. And and I'll tell you that there's a, a little bit of a dichotomy between younger CEOs and older folks. And what I mean by that is that most of the very successful CEOs in their in their late 40s through mid 60s uh, may not be as aware as they could be about what's possible. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's who my book is written for, because, see, most CEOs think going virtual is a technology issue mm-hmm. and it's really not. It's a leadership issue. And when approached that ways. CEOs can make it happen much faster with much better results. Because as I said earlier, when I ran our 300-person company for my spare, gen- my spare bedroom, we generated tens of millions in sales because of our leadership skills, because my team was educated in how to work and run a team virtually. And, and that's what I address first in my new book, The Invisible Organization, and with my clients. So for any CEOs listening to this who already have a virtual organization or they're planning to, what is the most common mistake that a CEO might make trying to use virtual systems to achieve their goals? Well, I I think it comes down to the fear that they have about doing it. I think CEOs are afraid of losing control, of not being able to literally see their staff on a daily basis. And in actuality, monitoring productivity is far easier with the right systems in place. So I I think that the misstep, if you will, of CEOs trying to go virtual is making some of the wrong assumptions. And then once staff are virtual, not knowing how to actually measure their productivity and monitor how well they're doing in a home environment. You know, the other thing is, to be honest, Joey, Not everybody is fit to work from home. There are some people who just can't do it. They're too, uh, maybe ADD is the right word. They're they're too unstructured in the the way they work. And they need a more structured environment like an office setting to really help them make sure that they get what they want done. Sure. So what would a CEO do who is hiring people who are going to be working from home? How would you determine who it is for and who it's not? Well, one of the things that I talk about in the book is I, I offer, by the way, a um, a leadership assessment so that CEOs can go to my website, invisibleorganization.com, and sign up for a free leadership assessment, which will take them through the 10 characteristics of leadership with an, uh, with an invisible organization. 
And the other thing that you asked about the difference between a person and uh, how to judge whether that person is potentially a good work from home employee is to test for things like organizational skills or test for things like how well they follow through on their commitments. Mm -hmm. And I go through some of how to do that in the book itself. But these are things that can be easily scanned for and tested. And in fact, I even provide a testing service for hiring staff on the site itself so that people who want to hire for a virtual organization can go to my site and on the resource center up top, you'll be able to see a place where you can literally deploy an assessment to a potential staff member or new staff member and find out really how well suited they are to either be selling or be managing or working or even coaching in a virtual organization. How can companies avoid the common pitfalls that CEOs make when trying to go virtual? Well, probably the most a common pitfall that they make is assuming that they can't do it because of certain aspects of what their company already is. So a, a CEO might say something to the effect of, well, I've already built a physical infrastructure. What am I supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. So that would be, in a sense, a pitfall of not going forward because they're not prepared on what to do with the existing infrastructure they already have. And again, in my book, what we do is we talk about some of these issues and how to redeploy some of that infrastructure and eventually uh, find ways to dispose of it. So even if you're stuck in a lease, even if you have uh, a big investment in systems, um, from an accounting standpoint, you know, you're constantly um, uh, looking at all of your overhead and looking at your systems and you're depreciating them anyway. Well, that depreciation, once it's completely depreciated, uh, is, is going to stop throwing off uh, tax deductions. And as a result, it's easy to let go of that stuff and get rid of it. The next step, of course, is deploying these systems in the cloud. Now, nowadays, everything is deployed in the cloud. Uh, all of the systems that we talk about in the book are interlocked so that you're, you're basically working with common data so that everybody can see what's going on in the, for example, in the leadership team, everyone can manage staff the same way with the same data. And the CEO is basically sitting at a, at a, a CEO console, if you will, that allows them to see exactly what's going on inside the organization at, at any moment. Okay, let's talk about some of the technologies that are available to us today. You know, what are some of those technologies? You mentioned there about the cloud. Are there any other common technologies that make virtual organizations possible? Well, well, sure. And again, let's go back a few years. Uh, a few years prior, when I ran Timeslips Corporation, we had a, a $250,000 investment into a, a PBX that we owned and we put in a big closet. It actually took up a lot of room in our, in our company <clears throat> and we had to spend money on air conditioning to keep it cool. Uh, and that infrastructure ran our call center and our call center had about, geez, close to, uh, at that point, maybe, um, a uh, hundred people in total, um, uh, you know, scattered across different floors on, in our building. And, um, you know, now those systems are actually completely in the cloud and virtual. So if I were doing what I did before today, I would work with a virtual call center system and I would have all of my people working from home. So everyone is getting calls routed to their home office, mm-hmm. taking calls from home, working on a common CRM system database 
that allows them to answer questions for clients and then take orders right over the phone. And then all the information is then forwarded to the next step in our sales process. So if the next step is to, after they bought our product, is to go to a client services division, all this information flows seamlessly from one place to the other using virtual systems that are interconnected. I couldn't have ever done that 10 years ago. Those things didn't really exist. And nowadays, uh, someone who is building a company from scratch can work completely virtually, build entire organizations, three, five hundred, a thousand people or more, all virtual because these systems exist. Even what we're using right now, Mitch, Skype, um, you know, it's allowing us to have a meeting, you know, essentially a meeting, and we're opposite sides of the planet right now. So it, it's just brilliant. All of these technologies that are coming out, it's going to get even better. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the future holds, but what I do know is that it's, there's just going to be more and more progress to come. Um, and we've spoken a lot about companies who already have an infrastructure um, and, and coming back from that and, and reversing that. But this is also really good news for startup companies because you know all of this that we've discussed today just makes it so much easier to start an organization, to start a company, than it would have been, say, 20, 30 years ago. So this is really great stuff. And I'm sure that people listening to this are really going to want to know more about this topic, how they can do this themselves and build their own virtual organization. So um, your book would be the best place to go for that. So where can we find your book? And also, is there anywhere else that we can go to get more information on this topic? So I would start with my website, invisibleorganization.com, where you can, of course, buy the book. <clears throat> you could access the resource center. And in the resource center, I cover uh, technology as it changes. So the book covers a bunch of different technology platforms that, when I wrote the book, were current. Mm -hmm. And even since I wrote the book, and the book, by the way, was just released, even since I wrote the book, there's been more uh, interesting products that have emerged, and those are documented on my site, The Invisible Organization. And that's where I talk about all upcoming products, all new products, different services that I believe invisible organizations might be uh, interested in. And so the best place to start would be the website. And then from there, grab the book. I think it's probably 15 bucks or 10 bucks or something like that on Amazon uh, and and dig in and get started. Uh, the other thing about these books these days, you know, books are typically now an extension uh, of a website. And so the book and the website are closely linked. And anybody who buys the book, I mean, even if you didn't buy the book, actually, you can ask me questions just by going to the website uh, and contact me right from there. So if you're getting started or you think you need information that's not there, just ask me. I'm available to answer your questions. Just a final word before we go, Mitch. I think that's a very interesting example of what this entire call has has actually been all about, you know, because your physical book has already become a little bit outdated already, at least until the next version of the book comes out. Um, and that's just simply because of the fast paced world of constantly updating information that we now live in. Whereas your website is digital and it can be updated instantly. So it's just another example of an advantage um, that virtual has over physical. Um, and as we've discussed today, virtual is often superior in many, many ways. And on that thought, we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you got some value out of it. If you did, then please show us some support by leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That would be really, really appreciated. Um, last of all, Mitch, thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's been great to have you. 
Thank you, Joey. My pleasure. The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.